Welcome to Talkumentaries, where we'll discuss a different documentary each episode. This week we're discussing the 2016 documentary film, The C Word. The film explores ways in which lifestyle and societal changes may help prevent up to 70% of deaths by cancer. It's currently streaming on Netflix. This podcast will contain spoilers, so listen at your own risk. Hey! Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. I really enjoyed this one, and I spent the entire hour and a half thinking of you. (laughs) Not just because I knew we were going to be discussing this, but because you are a cancer survivor, so I'm dying to know what you think of this movie. (laughs) Well... You know, it's interesting because my history with the doctor who was primarily the subject matter expert in the film, mm-hmm. who wrote the book Anti-Cancer, I had a history with the book prior to me being diagnosed. I really enjoyed watching this film. I thought it was really well done. It was presented in a way that wasn't very heavy-handed, Yeah, which was very appealing because, you know, when you're talking about something like this, you don't want to be preachy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to scare people away. I mean, you really want to state your case and make it appealing because, you know, the whole goal behind the idea of getting this message out is you want people to be able to help themselves. The idea behind the film and the book that the doctor had written is up to 70% of cancer deaths could be prevented through diet and lifestyle changes. I don't think a lot of people really think about that, especially in air culture, in Western culture. But six years ago this month, my sister-in-law died of breast cancer. She'd been diagnosed 11 years prior to that. And going through that experience, which was you know, incredibly stressful for me and for my whole family, you know, I heard about this book and I got a copy and everything in it made complete sense. Mm-hmm. And it's science-based. It's backed by scientific proof. Mm. So, you know, having gone through that experience, I thought, wow, I really want to do everything that I can to not have to go through that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Ironically, less than a year after she died, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. But, you know, at that point, everything made better sense to me because I had been feeling really badly for the prior few years, like three years. My vitamin D levels had been really low. I'd been overweight my entire life. I had never up to that point really been much of an exerciser. I had recently started exercising more and running because I felt bad and it made me feel better. At that point, I had been drinking more than I used Mm. to, drinking more alcohol. And also at one point, a couple years before I was diagnosed, my blood sugar was in the pre-diabetic levels. So that's another reason that I had started exercising. And since I've been exercising and through diet changes, my blood sugar has been great. You know, I still test Mm -hmm. it regularly and everything. But all my life, I've thought, well, you know, I don't, my family doesn't have a history of cancer. I'm not that worried about it. I'm not worried about cancer, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And here I was, this high-risk person just walking around with no clue because vitamin D levels are a risk factor, low vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being overweight is a big risk factor. Drinking alcohol is a significant risk factor for breast cancer. And in our culture, we don't talk about that much. Everybody thinks smoking. Yeah, you shouldn't smoke because that gives you cancer. Smoking gives you lung cancer. 
it doesn't give you breast cancer right. or pancreatic cancer. I mean, it can help contribute because it lowers your immune system. But you know, as far as direct cause, cause-effect relationships, drinking alcohol does have a direct impact on risk level for breast cancer. But mm-hmm. nobody wants to hear that. And surprisingly, right. the, the hospital where I was treated for breast cancer last year had a wine tasting fundraiser in October to raise money for breast cancer research. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'm like, uh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> That's like handing out cigarettes at a lung cancer awareness yeah. event. There was a little bit of that in the film. They kind of showed how the irony of like a KFC commercial <laughs> where they showed all these buckets and buckets and buckets of fried chicken. Yeah. And 50 cents from every bucket was going to go to breast cancer research. But it's like, this is the stuff we just told you. <laughs> if you're gorging yourself on it, you're increasing your risk for these things. So yeah. I, and that's, a, that's a major criticism, I think, of cancer fundraisers is that sometimes they attach themselves to things that are completely at odds with the lifestyle that they should be trying to promote. Exactly. Yeah. The corporations are very self-serving. So yeah, you do have to be careful when it comes to stuff like that. And the nonprofits themselves, you know, get a lot of criticism. Susan G. Komen Mm -hmm. spreading the whole pink stuff, but not really focusing on people who are dying of breast cancer. So the book is really good. I mean, it's really well written, much like, you know, the doctor's personality throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. He talked about his personal story and his own journey. and But it also has so much good information, specific, useful information, like what specific foods do fight specific cancers. There are tables throughout the book so that if you are concerned about a specific cancer, you can go and focus on those specific herbs and foods and different things. I personally found that very helpful. It's the reason why every day I drink green tea and I eat garlic and I Mm -hmm. eat something with turmeric in it or take turmeric pills and eat Brussels sprouts. You know, I've grown to love them, but I don't do it just because I (laughs) I enjoy Brussels sprouts. (laughs) You know, I'm doing it because hopefully something that's going to help my cancer, you know, stay in remission. So another good thing about this film is the title alone, I think is very telling. You know, people don't want to talk about cancer. Everything's Mm -hmm. very hushed. And I mean, we're all going to die. And I don't think in our society, we talk about death enough either. Because it's a fearful thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be. It's Um, almost like a feeling that you're going to conjure it into existence by saying it. You I know, know. Like Candyman or something. <laughs> I, well, and sometimes I feel like people are funny. The word cancer is so scary. You know, sometimes, a lot of times, people I think will avoid me when they find out that I have had it before, like it's contagious or, or something, right. or they just don't want to think about it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I mean, I try not to talk about it a lot with people, especially if they don't yeah. know, just because it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. it feels really heavy to just drop into conversation. I know. <laughs> But I never mind talking about it, especially if it's something that I think could be helpful for someone. I'm always surprised, too, that there are so many people out there who have been diagnosed with cancer. Just Mm -hmm. like in the movie, she said, in our lifetime, our chances are one in two of being diagnosed with some sort of cancer. 
Some kind of cancer, yeah. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it, like they said, it's in all of us. Naturally, our mm-hmm. immune systems will eliminate it from our bodies, but... That part was really eye-opening to me, and it reminded me of those commercials for the shingles vaccine, where it uh-huh. says, if you've had chicken pox, it's already in you. <laughs> it sounds like such a horror movie, like, get it out. Why is it in me? But I didn't know that about cancer, that it was just routinely developing and being shot oh, down yeah. in your body at all times. Yeah, and as we age, our body's ability to get rid of it diminishes. Yeah. And as you age, your cells are at an increased risk of having abnormalities. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the thing about cancer is the cells will multiply much quicker than a healthy cell or a normal cell. I guess I got this book when my sister-in-law was really sick. My daughter would have been three. And, you know, I went through this really determined effort to try to reduce toxins in our lives and not give her too much junk food and that sort of thing. But it was such a losing battle, and it still is, because of a lot of the issues you see in this movie. You know, Mm -hmm. her preschool and family, everywhere we went, she's given Skittles and (laughs) just all the things that are basically toxins and everybody would just kind of write me off and laugh and be like oh you know let her enjoy the m&ms and Mm -hmm. yeah it's fine every once in a while Um, right but not a steady daily diet everywhere we go and everything we do it's there i mean just like for example now even i take her to a french tutor and uh, she also takes piano lessons And they're great instructors, you know, love them. But they each give her candy at the end of the lesson. And I'm like, we come here for the French and we come here for the piano. We don't need the sugar. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what to say. And those are just examples. I mean, I understand why they're doing it. But on the other hand, it's just... everybody's doing it all the time, everywhere. It's just that it's everywhere. In second grade, her teacher, you know, they have like a treasure box. So if you are on green that day or do something good that day, you get to go get something from the treasure box. And hers mm-hmm. was candy. Mm. So every day I was yeah. getting candy <laughs> yeah. from the treasure box at school. <laughs> it's crazy. It really is a constant effort. And it does make me sad to feel that frustration when, you know... Even though, I mean, I do feel very healthy and very happy right now, but it is Mm -hmm. a constant frustration to have gone through that. And also, you know, my mother is in late stage pancreatic cancer Mm -hmm. and to watch her suffer as well. Then to go out and, you know, have people discount requests, you know, for no sugar and please keep the artificial colors, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Going into this, I knew... The C word, I knew it was, I knew it was cancer. I knew it wasn't the other C word, (laughs) (laughs) but I really didn't know anything going into this beyond that it was going to be about cancer. I didn't know if it was going to be about the prevalence of cancer or the first, you know, history of cancer. I didn't know. And as soon in the beginning, when I saw that it was going to be about these sort of four pillars of preventing cancer. I immediately felt myself get on the defensive for some preachiness because I thought, okay, here comes an hour and a half of you're doing it wrong and you've given yourself cancer. And (laughs) but I was delighted to see as it unfolded. It was, as you said, not preachy at all. 
they threw in some levity by way of some cartoon clips. Right. Just little short clips from like The Simpsons and The Family Guy and these other animated shows where cancer comes up either to illustrate how everybody sort of freezes and disperses as soon as yeah. the word is mentioned yeah. or they brought some levity to it right away so that you felt like, okay, I'm not just going to have somebody's finger shaking at me this whole time. Right. And also as they unfolded and started, you know, describing these four pillars of it, there was an underlying message of these things are largely within your control, but the way society itself is set up and the way we as collect the way we collectively value things, it's not your fault necessarily yeah. if you haven't been doing them. Yeah. Which exactly. was really gratifying because it was like I'm not you know, they'd explain to you how society is set up so that you aren't always making the best choices for exercise or nutrition or right. And so it felt like there are things you can be doing and probably should have been doing, you know, and they talked to cancer survivors who said, I wish I had started doing this, you know, the second I found out or 10 years before. But it was also like, it's don't beat yourself up that you haven't been. Right. And I thought that was really nice because otherwise, like I felt my own defenses going up, people would not be open to the message if it was just like, here's what you should have been doing, you dumbass. (laughs) I wish I had known all this information when I was a child. I mean, I wish everyone knew this generations ago and it was more a part of our culture now. But yet, I totally wish just for my own (laughs) benefit that I had lived a healthier lifestyle when I was younger. But we can only do the best with what we have. So I'm, I'm trying to do better now and, you know, trying to mm-hmm. set a better example for my daughter mm-hmm. because, you know, she's 10. So she's, just like they said at the beginning of the film, you know, so many cancers start when you're very, very young and they, you know, they mm-hmm. grow throughout your body over time. Hopefully... Her generation will, you know, continue to know these things and how important they are and not be such a slave to the corporate machine. (laughs) Right. I I thought they did a really good job of sort of demonstrating how that came to pass, too, how that's a fairly recent development. They obviously had the vintage ads of people saying, you know, make sure to give your baby a Coca-Cola every day. (laughs) So, I mean, we've been being fed terrible advice for years now, but the more recent development of the tobacco industry kind of collapsing for the most part in the 80s and 90s when all of that came to light, what they were, how they were misleading people into thinking that their product was harmless. Yeah. And then when they could no longer continue on that path at the traditional pace, because most people weren't falling for it anymore, they kind of poured that same money into the food industry. Right. And uh, American Tobacco Company bought Nabisco, I think it was, and Philip Morris bought Kraft. And and, General Foods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. I knew that they were these big monster conglomerates that hadn't gone away, but it hadn't occurred to me until they said that, oh, all the trickery Mm -hmm. and obfuscation that they had really practiced with on tobacco, they're just using it for a whole other industry now. Yeah. And... And it's delicious um, and, and addictive. And I, I am <laughs> even knowing it now, even having it pointed out to me now, I would not turn down a ring ding if you handed it to oh, me. Oh, I know. <laughs> totally. They're so freaking delicious. And food is something that you have to have every yeah. day. All of us have to have it throughout the day, which is different from tobacco. It's not right. a just say no situation. Right. So you have to be even more careful that you're going to be eating no matter what. And you have to just make sure that you're eating the right things, even yeah. though this thing was engineered by teams of people to look, smell, and taste completely appetizing to you. And maybe a cucumber is not. (laughs) 
all that appetizing, you know, by comparison. But yeah, yeah, it really illuminated a big picture to me that I had not really considered before. Mm -hmm. And that, as I said, was the kind of thing that was reassuring to be like, this isn't entirely your fault that you haven't been eating salads and grilled salmon all day, every day. (laughs) They talked a little bit about this in the film as well. But even when you're diagnosed and you're working with medical professionals, you know, the information you get when you're diagnosed, it's very basic. Everybody's very, I guess the word is gentle. You know, they treat you very gently. The doctor doesn't tell you things like, you should try to eat better, you should try to maintain a healthy weight. You know, they give you a little pamphlet, and it has things in it, like, oh, so now you have breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it does have some things like, that was the first time I ever remember seeing that if you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, you shouldn't drink alcohol. That's the first time I had ever seen that mentioned, or even heard of that. Every once in a while, I'll see it mentioned. But, you know, in our society, people just don't want to hear stuff like that. And so the doctors don't tell people that. I mean, it's it's a hard place to be in because you don't mm-hmm. want to stress people out more than they're stressed out already. But I feel like a lot of cancer patients want to hear, you know, how can I do everything? Right, because then you feel like you have some control over the situation. Exactly. But if not for this book, I wouldn't have a clue that I should be eating Brussels sprouts or garlic or onions or any of these things. Mm -hmm. Because we don't get that information from our doctors. Mm -hmm. It's more just, uh, well, you know, if you start to have problems or feel a lump or something, come back. (laughs) <laughs> right. And right. And that's it. But I still struggle with my weight. I mean, that is the biggest area where I really should try to make a bigger difference because I actually had two tumors and one of them was quite large. And, you know, cancer and cancer recurrence are really just a statistics game. You try to reduce your statistics as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so every cancer, every specific tumor is different. And so the chances and the odds are going to be different for each tumor. So like with my specific cancers, with my body weight, my BMI, where it is, the chances of recurrence for it are 50% higher than if I could get my BMI below 25. So, I mean, that's an area where I struggle. I need to, to try to do a better job. But it's just an ongoing battle. I mean, it's... Well, when you look at the four pillars that were discussed in this, they're nutrition exercise, uh, stress reductions, and avoidance of toxins. Right. And nutrition and exercise feed directly into your weight, obviously. Stress certainly plays a role because I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed out, I just unhinge my jaw and shove everything I can find in there. Toxins probably roll into that too. So all of this stuff overlaps, you know, and even if you manage to avoid cancer throughout your whole life, if you're not keeping track of these things fairly well, you are going to be heavier than you should be. Yeah. And then diabetes is, you know, it's all of these things are just interconnected. Well, in diabetes, a lot of cancers have insulin receptors on them. Mm -hmm. So diabetes and high blood sugar does contribute to cancer. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's definitely a systemic, holistic approach to well-being. Sorry, speaking of sugar, that reminded me of something that puzzled me in this. So cancer cells, I know from writing about pet scans before that cancer cells are sugar seeking (laughs) cells that's why they light up on a pet scan and so I have read that the best diet to avoid cancer or to you know mitigate the symptoms of it you know the progression of it if you already have it is to avoid sugar of any kind or to (laughs) even healthy sugars like fruits 
and carbs, you know, like bread and things like that, and to have a mostly meat and eggs and cheese kind of diet. So you're not really having any carbs of any sort at all, even the ones we think of as traditionally healthy. Mm -hmm. But then this film and many other things I've read too say a plant-based diet is best Mm -hmm. and you should avoid meats and eggs and cheese and things like that. (laughs) So I don't know what is the right answer. How do you know from one day to the next which study is correct? Well, I'm no medical professional, but I do hang out in a lot of cancer circles and it's a great (laughs) source of debate. Is it really? Oh my gosh, arguing constantly. You'd never want to go into any sort of cancer forum and post an article about the sugar unless you want to start arguing. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Because just like everybody's cancer is different, everyone's journey is different and... The whole thing with the MRIs and PET scans, yeah, you have to drink a really super sugary liquid before you get those scans, Mm -hmm. and that does cause your tumor to light up. The reason for that is the cancer cells, not only do they multiply quicker, but they metabolize things quicker. So your body Mm -hmm. naturally burns carbohydrates for energy, and Mm -hmm. the source of those carbohydrates normally is your diet. Like the film said, a lot of different cancer tumors do have insulin receptors, So the insulin in your blood is the key there. So it's not really about what sugar you're eating, that not having a direct impact on your tumors. It's about Mm -hmm. your blood sugar levels. So that would be a good reason to avoid processed. Yes. You know, like sugar, like cookies and things, but not to avoid blueberries. and Yeah. (laughs) Great. It seems to me, my instinct, if you handed me two of those diet plans, my instinct with no research or knowledge at all in these, you know, in this area is a diet that says don't eat any blueberries or raspberries or strawberries or these things that I am pretty sure, you know, are good for us. That seems to me like the one to avoid. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking about, though, it's uh, like every tumor is different. You know, everyone's body chemistry is different. We're really really just a big chemical experiment their body is and so everyone's internal chemistry is different so what works for some people may not work for other people that's why you see a lot of people have a lot of success reversing type 2 diabetes by going on the keto plan for example Mm -hmm. but they're still focusing on whole foods right They're just not eating as many carbohydrates and they're eating higher fat, but it's still healthy fat. And a lot of people have a lot of success on a vegan diet, you know, Mm -hmm. maintaining a healthy lifestyle on a vegan diet, which is pretty much carbs with some healthy fats and some vegetable protein. So it really is a matter, in my opinion, of finding what works for each individual and their body chemistry and their lifestyle as far as maintaining blood sugar levels and, Mm -hmm. you know, a healthy weight and stuff like that. I struggle because I can lose weight pretty easily on something like the keto plan, but Mm -hmm. I have trouble maintaining that lifestyle. And a lot of that is because everywhere I go, something tasty and sweet. (laughs) (laughs) And I really want it. Yeah. But I know what works for my chemistry. You know, you can pack (laughs) carrot sticks or something. You can pack, uh, you can bring some berries along with you or something. But the keto diet doesn't seem like it's very, (laughs) unless you want a purse full of hard-boiled eggs or I guess (laughs) there's nuts. Like nuts are mostly. 
okay on that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't seem very portable. It doesn't seem, it seems like you need to have like a sit down, planned out, cooked meal uh-huh. or you're hosed. Yeah. <laughs> and I can drink a whole container of heavy cream. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really does make the difference on a cup of coffee sometimes. Oh, it's yeah. just, oh, and the grass fed butter. Oh, that Kerrygold stuff. Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why it smells so good. Even before you do anything with it, it just has such a nice smell to it. I could eat it plain. Well, and see, these are the reasons I battle with my weight. <laughs> because... Same here, sister. I mean, everything they were showing in this thing, like, you shouldn't eat this. I was like, oh, it sure looks good, though. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the sugar debate is definitely ongoing. Good. I'm glad it's not just me wrestling with that. I just thought, well, no. how in the world are these two totally opposite plans being both being touted as the way to go? Yeah. Oh, the overlapping message between the two of them is don't eat crap out of a box. Right. Like, and also the healthy weight and healthy blood sugar levels. I mean, those are proven. Yeah. So how you get to a healthy weight and how you get to healthy blood sugar levels is really up to each yeah. individual. Right, whether it's a side of beef or a head of lettuce. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So of these four pillars, I mean, as they went through them, I was like, yeah, nutrition, I know I got to eat better. Yeah, I can see why that's hard and, you know, hasn't really been, you know, I haven't been breaking records in that department. Exercise, they kind of went into like how our lifestyle isn't really especially conducive to that either. Like we can take sick days from work, but it's not universal that we can take 30 minutes off of our work day to go for a walk. Yeah. You know, people really have to kind of work and negotiate to get that in. Mm-hmm. And stress reduction, we do sort of glorify being stressed out and busy for some reason, <laughs> which is crazy to me. But I love that they went into meditation because that was my high note on one of our shows, I don't know, many shows ago. Yeah, I was thought that of I you. I kind on of that discovered part. meditation and tiptoed into that a little bit. Yeah. So I could pat myself on the back for that one. But then the fourth one was toxins. And toxins is one of those words that, you know, sometimes makes my eyebrow go up because it's usually sprinkled throughout one of these pseudoscience things that you see pop up like, yeah. oh, you can... Or those things they used to sell on TV where you like stuck them to the bottom of your feet. Do you remember those? No. What were those called? It was one of those like as seen on TV things. What did you like stick this, it on your feet for? You stuck this thing to, it looked like a foot shaped maxi pad almost. And you stuck it on your, <laughs> by the bottoms of your feet. Oh my gosh. And put socks on over it. And then in the morning when you would get up, you would peel these things off your feet and they would be completely black and gray and gross. And the- <laughs> oh no, I've never heard of this. A way to describe to listeners the face you just made. Um, <laughs> and so, what they were selling you was that when you peeled these things off and they were completely horrifying in the morning, it was because they had spent the night pulling all these toxins out of your body through wow. your feet. Wow, I'm gonna have and to I look don't this up. I remember what the actual explanation was. Um, <laughs> But it was something much less magical than it pulled toxins out of your body. It wow. was Maybe it was made of stuff that just automatically turned black after a few hours. I don't remember. Or like that ear candling thing. Remember uh-huh. people used to think yes. that if you stuck this funnel-shaped candle in your ear and lit it, <laughs> all the gook in it would be the crap it pulled out of your ear? <laughs> yeah. But it was actually the gook that was already in there and was just kind of like melted into view by the flame. <laughs> anyway. So any, you see word like toxins and you're like, mm, okay, this is one of those things that people like to use to sell you, you know, crap or snake oil. Yeah. But toxins are a real thing. And the toxins that they talked about in this movie really made me think because it was, you know, a lot of things in the cleaning products we use in the cosmetics that we just, you know, willingly smear all over our faces every yeah. day. And we don't think about what's in them. And even if we are thinking about what's in them to the point of 
turning them over and looking at the ingredients, the way the ingredients are worded sort of, you know, hide what it actually is. So one example they used was Pam has, Pam, the cooking spray has butane in it. Yeah. And, you know, if you actually (laughs) said you're spraying a fine mist of lighter fluid all over your muffins, people might be like, oh, that might not be a good idea. And the one thing that stuck out to me out of all of them was fragrance. Yeah. Some products will just have, it contains this, that, the other thing, and fragrance. And the fragrance itself could be any of thousands of nasty things. And that one really hurt my feelings because I love so many things that smell good. I I mean, I'm a complete fool for any product that like, you know, I'll smell all the different kinds of counter spray or the different. I like the house to smell good, but I haven't really let myself think about what exactly I am dispersing into our breathing air. Yeah. You know, by wanting it to smell like apple cinnamon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it's such a minefield when you start thinking about stuff like that. And, you know, I did kind of lose my mind when I first got this book and a a lot of it around the toxins because in my attempt to eliminate toxins from our household, you know, I did all the usual stuff of cleaning with vinegar and baking soda and making my own deodorant and shampoo and blah, 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 you know, just Mm. all that kind of stuff, which sounds great in theory. And it all worked well. But, you know, baking soda and vinegar are chemicals, too. (laughs) Yeah. And used in certain ways, they are toxic, too. So, right. What's that thing that they always tell you? It's too, like, obvious. Dawn dishwashing liquid is constantly promoted as... Oh, Use yeah. this instead oh, yeah. of there chemicals. Was like a weed killer uh, recipe going yeah. around for a long time that was like, don't put chemicals on your lawn. Put Dawn dishwashing <laughs> detergent and baking soda and vinegar. I'm like, those are chemicals. It's just a different kind of chemical cocktail. Like it's just a DIY. But there were two common cleaning products that uh-huh. as far back as I can remember, there have been warnings about don't mix these two because it'll turn into some noxious gas. Oh, and you'll be bleach out and ammonia. Bleach yeah. and ammonia. Thank yeah. you. They it's do make like, a poisonous gas. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about the deodorant, and this is kind of a morality tale, uh, not a morality tale, but there's a lesson here, I guess. Oh, a <laughs> because, cautionary tale. Uh, a cautionary tale. Thank you. Because, yeah, because, <laughs> you know, I'm so immoral, but um, <laughs> <laughs> in my desire to eliminate toxins. But, you know, I was making my own deodorant and it worked fine. And I thought I was really doing something to make a difference. But there's never been any proof that deodorant has any effect on any sort of cancer. Mm-hmm. But deodorant is constantly vilified. <laughs> bras. I feel like people were talking oh, years yeah. ago about bras. Yeah. But- in my opinion, if it's never been scientifically proven in all these years... I'm not going to worry about it. My little cautionary tale, the part of it was, you know, I was making my own deodorant out of coconut oil and baking soda, two mm. innocuous things you would think, and carried around in my little container and put it on and, you know, everything was great. But I did, it wasn't a rash, but my underarms mm. were like pink all the time and I never gave mm. it any thought. And we went on vacation to the beach and I took my deodorant and I was smearing it in my armpits one day (laughs) and (laughs) I felt lumps in both my armpits. And I was like, oh, I must have a boil or something. I must Mm. be getting irritation or something. But it was under the skin and I didn't really think anything about it. But 
I decided I was going to walk over to the 7-Eleven across from the beach and buy some secret. <laughs> so I did that <laughs> and never gave it any more thought. I've used deodorant ever, uh, like, you know, commercial deodorant ever since then. But it turns out those were swollen lymph nodes and I had cancer. So, hey, there you go. <laughs> wow. So I think that combined with... Not from the coconut oil and the baking soda. <laughs> No, but the irritation that the coconut oil and the baking soda was causing my underarms was irritating my lymph nodes. And those lymph nodes needed to be doing something better at the time. You know what I mean? Well, and the (laughs) other thing about that is when you put a regular stick deodorant on, you're not touching your own armpits. Whereas when you're putting this coconut oil thing on, that was you were actually scooping it out and smearing it on with your own fingers, right? Yeah. yeah. So would you have had any reason to even touch and feel those lumps? Um, You know, I don't know. If not for, like I remember um, having a friend when I was a kid, we lived in Germany for a short period. I remember having a German friend who thought it was so odd that Americans always had to wash themselves with something. Right. We just had a washcloth or a, you know, a poofy thing or loofah or something that we never just touched our own bodies to get ourselves clean. Right, right. And I've thought of that ever since, you know, that we do need to be acquainted with what our bodies actually feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when I've ever touched my own armpits. I'm either shaking them or applying deodorant. I mean, I guess in the shower I do, but not like the way you you would. Hmm. Yeah, I think shower is probably where a lot of lumps are discovered, you know. Yeah. I'm sure. Do they recommend the monthly exam, self-exams anymore? No. Now the recommendation is just be aware of your own normal. And if that normal changes in any way, get it checked. Oh, well, another high risk factor that I had and had no idea of was I had very dense breasts and Mm. hadn't a clue about what that was or even anything about it. Now... Many states are required to notify women when they have dense breasts so that Mm -hmm. they're aware, at least, that they have a high risk factor. But if you Mm -hmm. have dense breasts, it just means that your breasts are made up of more ductal tissue and fibrous tissue than they are Mm -hmm. fat tissue. But what that means is you have up to six times higher risk of getting breast cancer. And not only do you have up to six times higher risk of getting cancer, because your breasts are denser, if you have a mammogram, which is, of course, the most widely used diagnostic tool, all of that fibrous tissue shows up white on the mammogram. So it obscures cancer. So not only are you at a higher risk, the normal diagnostic tools aren't very effective at discovering cancer. Now, see, I did not know that first part. I thought the dense breast thing, because I got that letter that I have dense breast. And I remember my mother being told at some point that she did too. And in in her case, she thought it was just like a curiosity. It just was mentioned offhand to her. I knew there was like a medical reason for it to be known. But I have thought that the only problem was that it would make it harder to detect in a mammogram. I didn't know that there was actually an increased risk. Yeah, up to six times because you have more duct tissue and a lot of cancers and that's where start it develops. in the ducts. Yeah, they can either start in the lobes or the ducts in the breast cancer. But, you know, it just means that you might have a different approach to diagnostic testing, ultrasounds right. and MRIs. And it's just part of knowing the overall risk 
Oh, circling back to what I was talking about, the deodorant, like the year before I was diagnosed, I guess a two-year period before I was diagnosed, and kind of obsessing about trying to reduce my chances of cancer. (laughs) I've joked that a lot of times just worrying about all the different things that cause cancer, that's one of the leading causes of cancer. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it's so easy to obsess about it. And, yeah. you know, I bought this book. And at the same time, you know, my mom and I had talked about it. You know, she bought the book. And then we both ended up getting cancer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, That's not a ringing endorsement for buying the book. <laughs> I really feel like if I had never gotten the book, though, mm-hmm. I would be a lot less healthy today. Yeah. So I mean, it's, even if cancer were somehow eradicated tomorrow, these four pillars are pretty good advice. You know, it's not just for avoiding cancer, but it's for living a longer, healthier life in general. Right. And, you know, they're all things that we should be paying attention to anyway. And I appreciate so much that it was presented in a way that made sense and wasn't preachy and helped you feel like you were in control of it, but it wasn't your fault if you haven't been controlling it well so far. Yeah. And cancer doesn't have to be scary. Right. Right. And I appreciate that it was all attached to the experience of this man who wrote the book, you know, even though it ended in his death. I thought the beginning of his story was so interesting because the tumor in his brain was found by his colleague. Right. Just... You know, because they were, I guess he was a neurologist. Yeah, and they, were, they were doing CAT scans on students to, and running a test, but somebody didn't and Just show trying up. out the machine or something, and his buddy had to be like, oh, you got something in here, yeah. dude. Yeah. I mean, imagine that conversation. Right. And then, you know, he had surgery on that, and just the picture of him after the surgery, it was just like his half his head was shaved, and he was stapled from here to oblivion. Mm-hmm. And then he had several good healthy years in remission after that. And when it came back, it was around the time that he, you know, was married and had a baby and, you know, all of a sudden had so much reason to stick around yeah, and couldn't. But it, it was interesting to see him struggle with these things himself, especially the stress reduction. He was so motivated to get this word out and so motivated to travel around and promote the book and tell the story. Right. But at the same time, he had this wife and this baby and this lovely relaxing life at home that he might have bought himself some time if he'd just gone back to that. But <clears throat> yeah, so when but... they knew the end was near, his wife said she was in floods of tears about it, but he was totally mm-hmm. stoic. And he said, I feel fine. I, I came what I did to do. You know, right. I, I did what I came to do. Right. I loved that they also included at the end, he was only given a few short years when his cancer recurred the first time. Mm-hmm. And he lived over 20 So you have to believe that that was a direct result of his anti-cancer approach. And I can't help but feel like his mission in life of getting this message out and trying to help other people was also keeping him going. Because like we talked about in the movie about the people living past 90, having a life's purpose extend your life, you know, having a mission, Mm -hmm. having something that you're working towards. So I have to wonder if he had just kind of retired and said, I'm going to stay here in France where it's lovely and stay here and not have something to work for every day, if that would have shortened his life. I don't know. Yeah. Gosh, it's hard to say. Yeah. Oh, you know what else came to mind for me in watching this was childhood cancers. Yeah. You and I have mutual friends who lost a child very early in her life. She was just a preschooler to brain cancer. But so much of this movie talked about how we always have this cancer in us and it's Mm -hmm. always being attacked and vanquished by our 
immune systems, but there was some reference to that really starting to happen in our teens. Yeah, younger in life. So, so yeah, I don't understand how these teeny tiny babies keep. How does that happen? There was no mention of childhood cancer in this one. That's where people get so frustrated with childhood cancer awareness and fundraising because these rules don't apply. Yeah, well, yeah, these, yeah. There's nothing that the baby did to contribute to his or her own cancer. And 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 that may be part of why I felt so defensive when this movie first started. Like, oh, don't you come at me preaching about, you know, how it's your fault if you get cancer. Because one of the stories that that girl's mother has told afterward is that when their child got cancer and was very, very sick, there were people who made offhand remarks to her about like, oh, did you let her eat hot dogs? No! way i never heard that oh yeah and it's like what no she did not get cancer from a hot dog like even if i'd given her nothing but organic everything from here to like it's just well and see this is where childhood cancer research really needs its own dedicated funding and awareness because it's It's a totally different animal yeah yeah so i'm assuming that when the 70 percent of cancers could be eliminated through lifestyle changes and societal changes that the childhood cancer is included in that 30% because it just couldn't be eliminated. Right. So I have been for years now, my gynecologist, every time I go for a checkup for the past few years, has handed me a clipboard with a checklist on it. And it has all these different types of cancer on it. And you're supposed to check whether you have a history of that in your family. Okay. And I think the end goal of that is that if you do have one of those kinds of cancers that she will um, recommend you for genetic testing or something. Uh So they must be cancers that have some sort of genetic component to them. And every year I say, nope, 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 nope. Our family has been incredibly lucky you know, everybody's lived to a ripe old age and you know, maybe their heart gets them or there was a diabetes guy over here. And But we've really had no instances of cancer in our family at all. And every year she hands me that clipboard and says, I know what the answer is, but you have to answer it again. And I say, nope, 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 nope. And I hand it back to her and I say, thank you for that moment of gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> and we move on. But now all of a sudden we have a cancer scare in our family. Mm-hmm. And it is my dad a few years ago had a mole on his back that my sister, who is a registered nurse, didn't like the look of. She said, I don't like the look of that. You need to have your doctor look at that. So he grudgingly trudged off to the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, yeah, I don't like the look of that either. They scraped it, biopsied it. It was melanoma, Mm -hmm. and they said, yeah, that whole chunk of your back has got to come out. Right. So he had a whole chunk of his back surgically removed, got a cool scar to show for it. End of story. Good, good. (laughs) Or so we thought. But he has to go for checkups after that to make sure that that was the end of it. Right, right. Melanoma is, yeah, scary stuff. Yeah, and I just haven't even let myself think about it because I thought, well, once you get that chunk out of there, it's discovered. It was found early and all the checkups afterward are just going to be a formality. Well, lo and behold, he has two troubling spots on a chest x-ray. And then uh, when he has it looked at closer with a CT scan, he has two troubling spots in his lungs and one on his rib. And somewhere in there, he was supposed to get blood work done to make sure his liver is functioning as it should, because apparently that's someplace else it can end up. And he blew that off in typical dad fashion. I think he still hasn't done that blood work. But my sister, the RN, is getting all up in his business now. (laughs) Yeah. And she has, you know, sort of pulled some strings and made some phone calls to get him scheduled for a PET scan. Yeah. At the end of this month. So suddenly with no family history and with all this gratitude about how cancer has been all around us, but has never knocked on our door. 
all of a sudden we're very, very worried. Yeah. And so I, of course, had him in mind when I was thinking of these four pillars last night. And he's, you know, in his early 70s now. He exercises more than most men I know in their early 70s. So he's got that part down. Stress reduction, he's retired. That helps. Yeah. (laughs) Toxins. I don't think he's exposed to a whole lot of toxins, but I don't know what they're cleaning their house with. Yeah. And uh, nutrition, he could definitely stand to work on that. Are they going to do a biopsy of the spots on his lung or bone or? Yeah, the spot in his lung, the spots in his lung were too deep to do a needle biopsy. So they wanted to do a um, surgical biopsy, but that's going to involve breaking ribs and Mm. uh, a hospital stay and everything just to get in there and have a look at it. Wow. And then the rib itself, he's got to follow up with an orthopedist to see what he wants to do about that, if they biopsy both in the same procedure mm-hmm. or what. But I guess the PET scan will tell them exactly what needs to be looked at, and then they can come up with a plan after that. Yeah. But our family talks about death a lot, and maybe because my sister's a registered nurse and yeah. has heavy conversations with families all the time. She wants to make sure that we are always talking about like what we want done, what we don't want done, that sort of thing. And so... When it's been a hypothetical issue, my dad has always said, uh, you know, if I got a terminal diagnosis, that would just be like, well, I'll just let it run its course. But that's when it's a hypothetical, right. you know? And I feel like there's cancer treatment has advanced to the point now where even if it is a terminal diagnosis, you can just treat it like a chronic condition and feel okay for a few years. Yeah, it depends Hopefully. on the cancer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. Like it wouldn't necessarily shake out that way. But the interventions might be such that you wouldn't be completely miserable right. to buy a year or whatever he has in mind. It might be that you, you know, just have kind of an annoying uh, appointment here and there and you won't feel totally awful and you get to buy three or five years. Yeah. And then it's worth finding out. I think he will just, you know, his instinct is to just slam the door and say, nope. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say, you know, even if you don't have a history of cancer, there was a woman in this film who said that too. She thought she was fine because they had no family history. <laughs> Hello, me. Hello. But, right, right. But the odds are such that, as you said before, it's like one in two. Yeah. Those are, that's a staggering thing that people don't realize that as we get older and, yeah. you know, we're living longer now than we used to, your odds are really great. So, And only uh, five to 10% of cancers are genetic. Yeah. So everybody thinks if it hasn't happened to my mom or if it didn't happen to my grandpa, yeah, that I'm probably in the clear. But that's not the case at all. The odds are it will come knocking and it might yeah. come knocking <laughs> through a mole in your back. You know, it, it's just so strange. Even after cancer is metastasized, lots of people go from that to being, you know, no evidence of disease and mm-hmm. live healthy and happy for years. It's just a matter of trying different treatments and doing what you can. There are a lot of clinical trials out there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would kind of appeal to him because he's kind of a science nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so he would like the idea of, you know, being part of producing helpful data. Yeah. My sister-in-law, you know, she was diagnosed and it was early stage cancer. You know, the thing with breast cancer, I think a lot of people don't realize too, is even cancer that hasn't spread beyond the actual duct and is removed can come back years later in your liver, lungs, and bones, and brain. It's um, like a stalker. You just have to, like, constantly <laughs> be on alert for it, you yeah. know? And, it's terrible. But, you know, she was diagnosed when she was pregnant and was treated with a mastectomy and chemotherapy. She wasn't able to do radiation because she was pregnant. Six years later, had bone pain, and it was back in her bones. But she lived 
a very active, normal life for Mm -hmm. five years after that. Wow. And didn't let it affect her kids' lives and, you know, just did a great job. And, you know, my mom, two years since her diagnosis this month, Mm. and that's pretty amazing for pancreatic cancer. (laughs) So we've been really happy to have her, you know, with us as much as possible. But both of those anniversaries are in the same month. And my diagnosis, you know. <laughs> and yours too. Yeah, my gosh. No, every time November. You know, the leaves start to fall in autumn, you must be like, oh, God. What my now? aunt and I joke about what a shitty month November is. For sure. What's it going to give us this year? But it's my mom, worst. yeah, she's decided to not go through chemo anymore because, you know, the thing about cancer that you don't think about and don't realize until you or someone you're close to is being treated The disease itself doesn't cause any problems. You have a tumor, Mm -hmm. but unless it's actively blocking some critical life function, you don't really even notice it. Right. Uh, Well, obviously, it depends on where it is. But you can have the tumors surgically removed as much as possible if they're blocking something or causing pain. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it depends on the tumor. But you don't actually get sick from that. You get sick from the treatment. Yeah. You know, the chemicals and the drugs and the radiation that are all designed to kill those cancer cells also kill mm-hmm. healthy living cells. So they make you really right. sick. And so, your hair fall out and you Yeah. Yeah, your hair doesn't fall and... out because you have a tumor in your breast or yeah. because you have a spot on your bones or if you have problems with your liver, obviously you might get jaundice. But otherwise, you look perfectly healthy and normal. That's the thing that people would always say to me after my surgery, which I found it really entertaining, you know. <laughs> and and they still say, like, when they find out I had cancer, oh, but you look so healthy and you look so... <laughs> You look great. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the sickness of cancer actually comes from, as you say. But then there's also the fact that because we call this the C word and we feel like we're going (laughs) to conjure it into being by saying it, you just expect somebody who's had it to look like they have been through a battle, you know, such a big thing that all of us are terrified of. How can you have had it and still have, you know, a smile on your face? And (laughs) right. Exactly. If you don't choose to go through a lot of those standard treatments, you won't look sick at all until it interferes with some sort of major life critical function. But, you know, like Steve Jobs was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2003 and chose for, I think, several years to forego standard treatment. And he did say in his biography that he regretted not doing surgery because he felt like it would have made a difference in longevity for him. But, you know, a lot of people are diagnosed and they don't want to go through the chemo and the radiation. I chose to get a double mastectomy because just looking at the statistics, that reduced my chances as much as adding in radiation. Plus, if I hadn't chosen a double mastectomy, I would have had to have MRIs every six months for the foreseeable future. And I just couldn't deal with that level of stress. And my daughter Mm -mm. was in kindergarten. You know, her life was disruptive enough as it was. And I didn't want her to have to deal with so much else. I thought the film was really helpful in explaining, you know, these four very simple pillars of health of, you know, preventing cancer and, you know, keeping it from affecting you as badly as it might if you already did have it. And that it also drove home how likely it is that you're going to get cancer at some point in your life. Yeah. Even if you don't think you're at risk, even if you haven't been smoking, even if your grandparents or parents didn't have it, 
it may come for you. So it's not information to be disregarded. Right. I thought it was really, really well done. And especially that it was tied to this man's own story. And I, I just really enjoyed it a lot. Me too. It's very touching. I think everybody should watch this. I don't see how it could cause any harm. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, very good movie, but they did a nice job of presenting a heavy topic without making it feel heavy and making you feel like, all right, I can, there's something I can do about this and I feel okay about it. Yeah. But it still is cancer. It is the C word. So it's probably um, good to go into our high note if you've got one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Now that we've talked cancer to death, let's talk about something happy. Have you ever been to Ollie's? Yes. I am a proud member of the Ollie's Army, and I just love that store. I that um, was my dad. He was so excited to show his card when he got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love going there. And it's funny. For some reason, I hadn't been very much in the past year and a half or so. And since we moved, actually, and we live much closer to the nearest one now than we did before, where I, I used to go a lot more. But we went just a couple of days ago for the first time in a while, and I just enjoy going there so much. I don't know. It's something about the diviness. You never know what they're going to have type of thing, you know. So is that a national chain or is it a regional thing? Maybe we should explain what it is to people who don't know. It may only be regional, but it's a discount store, kind of like Big Lots, which may also be regional. But basically, they buy closeouts and odd lots from other Mm -hmm. retailers. So they just mm-hmm. have a mishmash of different things. And most of the time, they'll be recognizable labels, but sometimes they're like just generic things. But yeah. it's always, in my opinion, a treat. Yeah, because I mean, you really never know what you're going to find. Sometimes it'll be like, I remember after the whole Paula Deen controversy, <laughs> they had a boatload of Paula <laughs> Deen casserole dishes and gravy boats and yeah. mixers and whatever. And so sometimes it'll be something like that where like the major <laughs> retailers just want to get rid of it and you'll find a pile of it Ollie's. And sometimes it's like books like that you're not yeah. sure, like, you know, like children's books where they're not even in English or there's a page missing. Or They had a children's book about Meet the Beatles that was in Spanish one time. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, I just loved it so much. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and I, you know what else I love about Ollie's is their flyers, their sales yeah. flyers always yeah. have like a cartoonish picture of Ollie, whoever he is. He right. just looks like this little old dude with a big, you know, mustache. <laughs> and they have, you know, these really cartoonish drawings of, yeah. of things that you can find there. The graphics on it are just like a 1970s <laughs> comic book almost. Right. We were just looking at the sales flyer uh, yesterday. And this week they have um, some kind of disco light on sale Ooh, there. And my son loves that disco lights that you know you can plug in and they'll like pulse to the beat of whatever music yeah, you're playing so right. i'd have to go grab up some of those yeah turn this room into a little nightclub <laughs> we loaded up on we got some blankets which were a great deal and then mm-hmm. we also got and this was my primary reason for going you know i don't know if you've been to target lately but target has changed all their workout clothes it used to be oh. all champion c9 but now they've like completely redone the whole area I think they still have some champion stuff, but I didn't look too closely. But I guess when they did away with their C9 clothing line, Mm -hmm. they must have sold all the leftovers to Ollie's. (gasps) So I went and I got a whole bunch of winter workout clothes. Yeah, nice. Because I've got some like uh, the little cropped leggings. 
from Target that I think must be C9 because that was like the big brand there in the little workout area. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I can stock up on those Ollie's. We're going to have to go for sure. Yeah. It was a treat. So how about That's you? That's so funny. <laughs> All these your... army, my dad, you and my dad can compare cards and yeah. do the secret handshake or it's whatever. Good stuff, cheap. Yes. <laughs> so funny. So my high note is a little show called Mind Hunter. Oh, I don't know if you've had a chance to check that out yet. I have seen it mentioned a lot, but I have not had a chance to check it out. Yeah. So my husband and I watched it, and I, you know, it was one of those that was just coming up over and over in the podcasts we listened to, <laughs> and on NPR they'd mention it or whatever. Right. And he, you know, had heard enough about it that he was interested in watching it. He knows I love true crime stuff, so he knew I'd be on board. So it's a dramatic show on Netflix, but it's based on real events. And it involves these guys who work for the FBI and who sort of pioneer, along with a woman who did a lot of research in the area academically, pioneer the idea of profiling of murderers. And so the idea was, you know, they used to just lock up murderers and punish them and never think about them again. But these guys, along with the woman involved, came up with the idea of interviewing them to try to understand them better so that they could figure out what motivates these people. And then maybe that would help them to investigate, you know, future incidents, which we know now, yeah, it does. They can pretty well pinpoint like what this guy's deal is. Right. You know, if they if they have a series of murders and they're not sure who's responsible, they can say, well, he's probably this age and he's probably into this and he either has a family or doesn't, yada, yada. So just that it was based on those real events made it interesting to me. And then the first episode, as it went on, I thought, why does this guy seem familiar to me? The main dude is like a brand new FBI agent, and he's the one who's kind of pushing for this development to happen. Mm -hmm. And he's a handsome, youngish dude. And I think, why do I know his face from somewhere? And then finally, I looked him up. He plays King George in Hamilton. Oh, interesting. was my high note many, many episodes ago. Yeah. I, you know, I'm completely obsessed with. And it was so hard for my mind to square that with this guy who's like an FBI agent and is not <laughs> bursting into song for any reason. Uh, it could be like Cop Rock, act- right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Singing FBI agents and serial killers. That would be amazing. Write that down. That's going to be the next hit. But it's really well done. And that actor is just as cute as he can be. And he was interviewed on Fresh Air shortly after I figured out the connection where I knew his face from. And in his interview, his name is Jonathan Groff. In his interview with Terry Gross, he was just as charming as he could be. I just enjoyed him so much. And he was talking about his upbringing in Pennsylvania. His dad was a his dad grew up Mennonite and his mom was Methodist and oh. raised by them he became this like theater kid. Wow. <laughs> and he was talking about how his parents he really gave credit to his parents for driving him to all these auditions and driving him to plays and driving him to rehearsals and driving driving driving. And he said something like, you know, that's something we don't think about. It seems like such a small thing for a mom to be putting the kid in the car and driving them somewhere and it just seems like such an insignificant everyday thing, but it makes a huge difference when you're driving that kid to something they're interested in and good at over and over and over Mm -hmm. this is what it leads to now that kid is on broadway now that kid has a netflix show you know and i thought isn't that cool of him to give his mom props for you know because it really is such an everyday 
cliche thing to be piling your kids in the car and driving them here, there, and everywhere. But that really is the basis of like, now that kid's an Olympic athlete. And it's yeah. because mom drove him to, you know, swimming practice every day constantly. Or That's awesome. I just thought that was very cool of him to do. He just seems like a really down-to-earth, humble guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll he have can to play a nervous FBI agent or a completely arrogant 18th century king. <laughs> so much range. So very talented. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the show itself is great. And then also, if you get a chance to listen to that Fresh Air interview, I love Fresh Air interviews anyway. She just gets the most interesting stuff out of people. But that's a really good one to listen to if you get a chance. Good. Jonathan Gold. Thank you for joining us this time. And if you haven't done so, look for us on Facebook and like our page at facebook.com slash documentaries or shoot us an email at documentaries at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.